You're listening to the Innovate My School podcast with Russell Prue. Listeners, I'm pleased to welcome to our podcast the brilliant, the founding director of Innovate My School, the brilliant Michael Forshaw. Michael, welcome to the show and how are you today? I'm very good, thanks Russell. Brilliant. Thank you so much indeed uh, for putting this together and making this possible. It's been absolutely brilliant catching up uh, with everyone for the podcast. Now, the Innovate My School website, the portfolio of products and services, has grown enormously. Where are we up to now? (laughs) Good question. Um, Well, podcasting, I guess. Um, Thanks to you. Yeah, I mean, we've we've, we've now got the website. We've got newsletter once a week. Uh, just over 12,000 readers. The magazine's just over 254,000. Uh, social media is always growing, just hit 12K followers. Um, we're, we obviously do the events for one day conferences and obviously our unique innovation speed dating events. They're going fantastic. We did eight last year, we've done 25 so far this year. Uh, we're looking to crank it up and do five or six a month from September onwards. And now we're looking to do webinars and podcasts. So, so yeah, I mean, we're just increasing the channels to. To, to as many teachers as we can and try and share as much innovation as we can uh, through different means. So, yeah, but really, really exciting times. As the name implies. Oh, and what's the driving force behind that? Is is it still your desire to reach as many educators as possible? Absolutely. The whole reason I set up the, the business, Innovate My School, was to share the innovation, make it freely available, bring together, bridge that gap between innovative education suppliers, be it new startups or global companies uh, and make, make, make what they're doing more freely available for teachers in the UK and as we've kind of found we've expanded naturally abroad as well through the internet so mm, mm. Okay. that's always the core aim of, of, of Innovate My School to, to share innovation and it's not just innovation technology it's innovative practices in the classroom as well and that's always a key thing I like to go back to you know we're not just another ed tech site we're, we're all about sharing innovation in the broadest sense. And, and you've done that very well by attracting experts and encouraging them to write regular blogs on your website, which I, I assume is successful in driving even greater levels of traffic and interest to the site because there's there's tons of free stuff on there. It's really very good, Michael. It's become quite a rich library now of, of quality content, mainly, yeah, exactly through, through the guest bloggers that come to the site. Um, a lot of people approach us themselves. We also approach a lot um, who, who we think would, would be able to share some great content. Um, it could just be it could be someone that works for a, a company, or it could be a teacher who's. Hmm. And sometimes we're constantly researching and looking for teacher blogs. Twitter's a great source for doing that, hmm. and then we just kind of hone in and say, "Look, really love what you're writing about there. This innovative practice can we share on the site? You know, would would you be interested in?" Uh, writing an exclusive article for us we'll we'll publish it to the website permanently include it within our weekly newsletter and share it across social media usually um, they say yes and the offer is open to anyone that that has got something to share of interest and Mm. we're always open it's really really good I'd I'd like to just focus in on a couple of things firstly the services that you provide to small and large um, commercial enterprises businesses people that are trading with schools um, what do they get out of the relationship what services do you provide for them Um, a range really to be honest it depends (laughs) how big's the budget what are they looking what are their aims we don't just sort of say these are our set services it's a case of speaking to them consulting with them finding out how we can help them achieve their marketing aims. So if they do have a small budget, perhaps they'd like to write an article for us. 
for no cost and we'll just publish them and sh promote them as an expert that way and indirectly promote the company I guess if they would like to be a bit more direct they might want to publish a press release they could have an advert within the magazine or attend one of our speed dates we're quite picky about who attends a speed date to be honest hmm. you, know, you, you wouldn't have someone that provides uh, roofing or something like that for schools it's got to be innovative um, but, but yeah that with, with the amount of speed dates we're doing, uh, we just did one in Greenwich a few days ago on Monday for 60 heads. You know, so there's a lot of opportunities. It depends who their audience are um, and how much how, how much exposure they'd like to get, really. And does that relationship start with having uh, a listing on your marketplace site? Marketplace is always there. Yeah, it's actually free for a list, a basic listing within the site. So the aim is to make sure everyone can be seen. There's the opportunity for a featured listing. But yeah, we want to get everyone on the marketplace. That's actually what we uh, started out as. We were actually just a, an online directory for products. I actually started when I was still working at uh, Cardinal Heenan in Liverpool mm. as an IT manager. So it kind of grew outwards from there. Obviously, we've got all these great channels now, but, but the marketplace still remains key to. Uh, sharing the innovation and what i particularly find attractive is that that list isn't necessarily weighted by uh, the amount of money you can spend it's actually weighted by the number of customer feedbacks and for me that was the most attractive feature because everyone else was coming at this from an, an entirely different angle they decided to make their money out of charging suppliers uh, for a better listing and that was the only way you could get onto the site uh, and you came at this with a very fresh and innovative approach that said no that's not how we're going to do it um, you can, of course, enhance your listing, but um, we're going to rank them initially on the number of feedbacks from real customers. Is that still a key component of that service? Absolutely, and always will be. It's a bit like TripAdvisor, if you like. Um, I realised when I was working at the school that there's so many small startups that had some brilliant innovative ideas, grassroots innovation, if you like, and you know they don't have a, a large budget they don't actually know how to market themselves so by giving them that free platform to kick start it and um, that seemed to really uh, help with innovate my school's growth certainly in the early days yeah yeah uh, and i like that because people with very large budgets to spend in my my view is that they somewhere somehow along the line they've charged perhaps a little too much for their service uh, i always think it's it's equitable and unwise to have too much money particularly when working with schools and young people i think there's a a, a moral approach to be had here and i, and I still find that in compellingly uh, attractive uh, by what you do um, can you just tell me a little bit more about the speed dating because it, it, it kind of sounds slightly naughty and i know it's not but and I, and I like that but to, to tell the listeners about that what's the concept how does it work it is head teachers uh, taking part in a speed date they're not dating each other they're not dating me they're dating six to seven innovative products on the education market today handpicked by innovate my school so yeah there's no car keys in the middle there's none of that snog marry avoid it it is a chance for them to in groups of heads together speed date innovative products and we find this is a great way um for head teachers to, we actually run them when they're on their usually when they're in their head teacher cluster residential mm -hmm. it's, it's the only time that all the heads in, say, Liverpool come together. So that's to us is an ideal chance for them as a group to discuss new products, uh, to compare, contrast. Um, and the speed date format works perfect for that. They're not sitting down listening to one head teacher, uh, sorry, one supplier talking mm -hmm. for half an hour. 
they get to speed date six to seven in short 15 minute bursts and, sure. and to add to that it is done as a speed date format where true to any speed dates they have, they have to rate the suppliers out of five give any written feedback and they state whether they date them again would they see them again no pressure to do anything there's no hard sell but it adds to the kind of fun and quirkiness of the session but at the same time for the suppliers it's, it's obviously useful feedback to see if anyone is interested and we send that to the suppliers post event sure and I think it's very brave for a supplier to turn up and do that. Uh, but also, I, and that will kind of filter out the good people from the bad people. People that are in for the long-term game rather than just kind of enter the market, make a quick buck and then uh, look for a quick exit. I also like the concept that um, you're grouping heads. So they're in smaller groups. They can have a focused discussion, which is very hard to have at some of the biggest major exhibition events going on around the country. It's just so hard to catch someone's time for a concentrated discussion about uh, something in great detail. Um, also interested in um, how this uh, is being rolled out around the country. I was very interested in your introduction where you said um, you only did uh, a few of these last year and you've done 25 already. So these are on the increase, aren't they? Absolutely. I think certainly with the way the, the climate is going in education of local authorities having less of a control, I think the clusters are becoming more important, more than ever, really. Um, there seems to be new clusters forming all the time from our research. Um, as the speed day concept for us has grown uh, significantly over the last year, I've cranked up the uh, the team of researchers who are looking to introduce the concept to them. And through that research, we found out that there seems to be usually one to two large secondary head, head clusters within a mm -hmm. local authority area, and mm -hmm. then multiple primary clusters. Obviously, there's more primaries than secondary, so that makes sense. And it's just a case of, of, of getting in touch with them and do, you know asking them, do, do they meet? And if so, would they like a, a speed date? And so I guess that, that's yeah. basically what we do, really. And, uh, Absolutely. And I guess as more um, uh, schools either transfer to academy status or they clump themselves in clusters, pooling this kind of expertise is very cost-effective. Yeah, I think we've got to stick together. Um, I know from my, <laughs> my own father, who used to be a head, um, that he really valued the uh, cluster meetings. Uh, certainly, I, th I think he may have been chair one year, but... He said it was, the, it was the only chance they could get together and really share ideas and it became a, a best practice forum for them. And, and I know that he really loved the residentials for two mm. days where we got to stay in a lovely hotel and get mm. drunk one night with all the heads. And He won't thank you for that. <laughs> Hopefully he's sitting at home laugh, laughing as he's retired now. But uh, no, um, it, it was always something that he was very well attended. So yes. Running a speed date at a cluster meeting made a lot of sense. And the session sells itself. If people want to see what it's all about, they can go to the website and there's a video there with lots of testimonials and it gives yeah. them a real flavour. It does. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay. Printers and things. Uh, if you're a supplier and you're interested in what you've heard so far, how can they get in contact? Go to the, well, call us. 01244 um, or just go to the website and click on speed date all the information's there watch the, the two minute video and get in touch hopefully we'd love to hear from you if you are interested in attending um, we're willing to consider everybody uh, as I say hopefully there's an angle for innovation but yeah just just go to the website. And perhaps also if you fancy hosting one at the, your school, if you want have a cluster arrangement, perhaps you'd like to do that. What about suppliers as well? If you're a supplier, can they get in contact using the same methods? Same same number. Um, give us a call and we'd love to consider you. Um, like, like you said, if, you're, if you are a head teacher or school leader and you belong to a cluster, mm. 
get in touch. There's no cost for us running running a session for you. So we'd love to uh, discuss that with you. That's really very attractive. And on Twitter, yourselves, uh, with a huge following now, I have to say, doing very, very well. How can we follow you on Twitter? Uh, at Innovate My School without the O's. Without the O's. I love that. I was, I was wondering how you were going to do that. We ran out of space, yeah. I love it. <laughs> Haven't we all, really? <laughs> An occupational hazard in this century, I have to say, with just 140 characters available. Uh, Michael, a real hoot. And thank you so much for, um, for joining us on our very first Innovate My School podcast, uh, chatting brilliantly. Brilliantly with the inimitable Michael Forshaw, founding director of Innovate My School. Michael, thanks for joining us. Thanks a lot, Russell. You're listening to the Innovate My School podcast with Russell Prune. Powered by Anderton Tiger Broadcasting. Outstanding in a technology enhanced world. And my next guest joining me live on the telephone is the brilliant, the absolutely fabulous, ladies and gentlemen, Debbie Forster. Debbie, you are from Apps for Good. Tell me all about Apps for Good. Apps for Good is an education charity that works with schools. We deliver a program that lets young people choose a problem or issue that they care about and to work through that whole design process to go from problem to prototype, at the end of which they might have a smartphone app, a web app, a social app, but it's one that's based around their passions, their interests. And what I think I find the most compelling and the most exciting about the whole project is it's real and it's about young people's input into it. It's not a a set of traffic lights and a box of Lego and stuff. These are often apps on mobile phones that can make a serious difference to that child's life. Absolutely. I think what we bring to it is that real-world edge, and we do that a number of ways. One, they're building a real product, and if they enter our competition, their app will be taken to market. So every January, we launch another seven apps that are designed by students as young as 14, and this year, our youngest students are going to be 10. But along the way, we help our teachers, not just with core materials, but we also have an expert community. We have 700 text experts from across the whole spectrum who Skype in, Google Hangout in to work with students to give them advice on what's really happening, what's technically feasible, what's happening in the market, how they can create that business case, and also that technical advice on how do they build that app prototype themselves. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. I'll talk about the resources in just a minute, if we may. But first, you've just had an amazing competition and a celebration of work in, uh, I think it was in London this week. Tell the listeners a bit about that, if you can. It was a fantastic event. We um, had it at the Barbican this year, and we brought down teams... 18 teams from all over the country. Our farthest flung team was all the way up from Wick in Scotland. Wow. And that's up in the northeast corner. But we also had a number of primary schools. So our youngest team ever was age 10, um, a boys team. We were pleased that about half of our finalists were girls. What they do is they come down in the morning. They spend the morning with companies, tech city companies, that, in, which are accelerators that coach the kids, give mm-hmm. the idea advice to the students. They then go in front of each of the finalists and present in front of a Dragon's Den panel. Now, these panels are top-level executives from across industry. So you will have people who are, um, for example, the the Gerard Grech of Tech City, uh, the Tech London Advocates also came along. We had um, Martha Lang Fox from LastMinute.com. So these are people who really know their business. And these kids had to pitch the idea and and answer really detailed questions. You know, Mm. where are they going to source their data? Is this really something new on the market? Is it technically feasible? 
They then are put into what we call the marketplace, and this is where we have our 250 guests who come round, and the kids pitch their idea, because what we accept is not just that experts can pick a winning idea, but that, that things go viral. So we have a People's Choice Award, where people vote online, and we had over 7,000 votes. And so then the end of the evening is a chance to celebrate that. We choose a winner from each category. They have a corporate sponsor behind it. And we have the People's Choice Award so that the next day they meet with a development company to start building that out for launch the following January. Amazing. Well, Twitter was on fire both Monday and <laughs> We were really pleased. We even had some of the Amazing. teams because the kids in, in looking at the People's Choice Award were encouraged to use social media. Yeah. We were delighted. One of the teams got Will I Am to tweet it. Yeah. And another team called I'm OK got Stephen Fry not just to tweet it once but twice no that's amazing for me that's the big contextual picture that's the bit that connects the young people's lives with this kind of technical output not just sort of throwing some algorithms and some coding at kids and hoping some of it sticks you just seem to have cornered the market beautifully with that and so let's talk about resources and what there is for teachers because I suspect that educators are feeling a little bit exposed at the moment new curriculum change is heading their way whether they like it or not in September and if they want to get stuck in this I'm delighted to see you got year 10 I'm sorry uh, 10 year olds um, doing this you know uh, year six pupils getting stuck in in a primary school there's clearly some support there for educators what have you got for educators absolutely I mean teachers are at the heart of the success yeah. of, of apps for good and, and they're a key part of our audience and they help develop things as well as our experts so what we offer our teachers is First of all, a course framework. It's really flexible. It means that people can do that in a much lighter touch way, that it's around 30 hours, but if a school really isn't ready to start going deep with the tech and the building, then they can do that in a more superficial way, starting with simple tools like balsamic, clickable wireframes. But then also we have, as teachers get more confidence and or their students want more, there's more difficult um, tech mm. products that they can begin using. So they can be using CSS, JavaScript, HTML5. Because we have sponsors like people like Facebook, you can even be looking at Facebook API. So it means that students have the capacity to build much more technically and look, go much deeper on the computing science. To help the teachers, we have online training. Mm. We have materials that are all free. All of the tools that we recommend are free to schools. And then the other bit is as long, it's along the way. I don't think the days of a one-off course are enough. It doesn't really help us do that. And to really keep up to date in a, in a field that changes daily, we have our expert community. These are volunteers. So we have everything from developers and small tech startups here in London to people at the top of the sort of corporate level. We've got the global head of technology from Thomson Reuters. Wow. And these people are happy to Skype in. Schools put in a request. An expert connects with them, and then we'll Skype or Google Hangout for an hour, coaching and mentoring the students, and the teachers learn with them along the way. Amazing. That's a good scenario as well. So if a school were looking at the bottom line cost for this to get involved, what should they kind of be budgeting for? Well, if it's a state school for apps for good, it, it is offered to the schools for free. If it's an independent school, it's £250. What you need to do, it, it's really about staff investment. What we do for our apps for good partners is they're guaranteeing that they will have one educator that's attached to the course and has done the online training, and they'll deliver that to 20 students. We also think it's important because it needs to be embedded in the school. So the school is committing that they will have a senior team member attached to the project. And then the rest of what happens should really probably already be within schools. A lot of the work that the students will be doing is done on the laptop. 
some schools are buying class sets, or what we can say is you could even get as low as you know one um, device per team of five students. I like that some schools are letting students use their own phones, but really there's a whole range. So we are really quite open in terms of what software you want to use, what hardware you want to use. We think it's best to fit it within the context of what a school really has. This isn't about big budgets, investing in high-tech things. This is about letting students use the technology that is already within the schools and what they already have in their pockets and letting them see that these are powerful Mm. creative tools, Mm. not just toys. Mm. And and it feels to me like this is a bottom-up revolution rather than a top-down because the bottom-up ones seem to be much more sustainable than any of the top-down. You seem to have cornered. It's beautiful. It is absolutely marvellous what you're doing. Uh, Give me some websites and some uh, Twitter addresses, if you can, please, Debbie, because people right. will if just you, want to If know. you go on, everything you need to find out about the course can be found at www.appsforgood.org. We are on Twitter at uh, CDI, Apps for Good, all one word. And if anyone wants to come back to me directly, it's at Debbie Forster, all one word. Couldn't be any simpler than that. It's a real pleasure. You're doing some marvellous work. Keep it up. You really are. You're inspiring me and inspiring an entire generation. Good for you. Thanks very much. You are very welcome. Debbie Forster, thank you so much for joining us from Apps for Good. Thanks. Bye-bye. And listeners, we're welcoming our next guest to our Innovate My School podcast for July. It's David Mitchell, or should I say, a.k.a. Deputy Mitchell. Welcome to the show, and thanks very much for joining us, David. Thanks, Russell, for having me. It's great to be on here. I'm very grateful for squeezing us in your very busy schedule. Only just reading some tweets about you today. Apparently you were down in Birmingham. What were you up to? That's right, yeah. We were in Birmingham with Pi Corbett and Tim Rylands. We were doing a a talk for writing conference that was... um, basically hinging on technology and how that can be used to inspire young writers uh, across the primary age range. Brilliant. It's a really good day. Good. Good turnout as well. Colleagues interested? Really good, yeah. We had um, what was a special project, really. We had 120 delegates in the room, Mm. but we had about 3,000 children also working alongside the conference in their schools, developing the writing that we'd come up with during the morning session with Pi Corbett. It was really exciting. Brilliant. And you've, you've certainly been responsible. Now, you're, you're far too modest to, um, to allow this claim to be laid at your doorstep, but I'm going to do it just now. You, you've clearly um, and, and deliberately put blogging on the map for everyone. You've made it chic, you've made it easy, and you've made it accessible. How have you done that? Well, it's, it, blogging is one of the easiest platforms to use on the web. It's, it stood its test of time. It's, it's been around since the late 90s, I think. And if you can send an email, you can create a blog post. So it's, you know, the, the bang for book, is, uh, you know, for what you get in the impact in the classroom is, is pretty, uh, pretty good. And, you know, that's where the passion comes from, to try and get as many teachers and children doing it. Um, because, you know, you know with, with radio that, you know, a sense of audience is, is key to anything we do. You know, we say it to the children all the time, develop, you know, think of your audience, think of your audience. Yet most of the children in the country have an audience of one, which is quite sad, really. And, you know, without much effort, without much training, you can easily run a class blog, which um, can, you know, can inspire your children to write beyond the levels you thought they were writing at and beyond the amount that you thought they were capable of writing, just because they want to do it for somebody else and may not, you know, want to do it for you as the teacher. 
And I think it was either yourself or Pi that made a very interesting remark today that that audience of one is often a red pen in the margin um, making comments, albeit sometimes very negative comments, about the child's work. And so blogging goes beyond that, doesn't it? It does. Um, yeah, you get, you get the feedback um, through comments. And the feedback you know, can, be, can be critical, but it tends to be a positive, a lot of peer assessment in there. Children, you know, as we know, they listen to their peers. And if you can train them to really pick up on saying something positive, ask the author a question, and also point them in the direction of something to help them improve, you know, the, the stuff we might do with posters on in their literacy books, but why not do it digitally? Why not do this outside of school? Because your children will. They've got devices at home um, that are linked to the internet. They can really um, do this from home, and the benefits, you know, that you can get in school are, uh, are great for them. Mm. I was in your audience at the West of England ICT conference just a short while ago at the University of East of England, or the West of England, sorry, uh, and um, just absolutely amazing. And you spent quite a bit of time telling people about the journey you'd been through and, and how your young people at your school had responded to the audience and how excited they were. Is that still relevant now, or have we moved past that? No, it's absolutely relevant now, and that's not going to go away. You know, blogging in the future may change its name. It might be called something else. Mm. It might morph into something different. But I think the concept of, um, you know, publish, pu- publishing your work to a global audience is here to stay. Mm. Uh, I think, you know, the children deserve that. It should be an entitlement. Um, and there are so many ways to do that safely that we shouldn't really bury our head in the sands with this. We should harness this technology and use it for the good of the children to get the best out of them. And so with the new curriculum on the way, you know, there are loads of opportunities uh, to be doing this kind of stuff uh, in the new curriculum as well. I agree. I I wonder whether colleagues are just kind of over-swamped themselves at the moment, and and a lot of it's a kind of... Um, colleagues just running around like headless chickens at the moment, panicking because in September there's some uh, there's new English curriculum, there's a, a new computing curriculum, and I wonder whether colleagues are just going to leave IT or technology-based learning stuff to the kind of coding computing lot. Is there anything else we need to do to get this back on the agenda, or do you think it will just continue in the way it has? Well, I think I think first of all, I think people that are listening, we all need we all need to kind of ca- calm down a little bit, and mm. you know we have time. We we have we have at least two years uh, before Ofsted at least are going to be checking on what's going on, mm. and it's come from the top that we have time to find things that work for the children. Yes, we've got a curriculum. We're not, all not going to get it perfect straight away. Um, the whole coding element, you know, is is being thrown around a lot at the minute. Mm. There's far more to the new computing curriculum than just coding. Mm. Um, you know, and if we can do things that uh, in ICT or computing that impact on other areas of the curriculum, like writing and reading, then obviously there's, there's a great value in doing that. Um, in the computing curriculum, for example, in Key Stage 2, there's quite a lot in there about digital literacy. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, things like blogging and you know, using online tools really do teach the children. You know, we weren't taught that at school, but uh, we have to teach our children the difference between a forum and a private message we've got to teach them between mm-hmm. the difference between uh, a blog and a tweet we've got to teach them these things or else they're not going to stand a chance when it comes to when they're 13 and they're going to tweet themselves or when they're 16 and they're going to have their own blog about whatever band it might be you know we need we owe it to them to teach them these things just as little human beings um mm-hmm. and there's loads of room in the curriculum to be creative 
and uh, even in the computing curriculum there's a lot more to it than just coding no you're absolutely right but what happens if a colleague hasn't done this themselves before what resources are there for for blogging and this kind of aspect of literacy what 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 have you got for them and what's generally available for them so just walk me through the steps now i'm, I'm kind of i'm interested i'm an educator um maybe key stage two maybe key stage one and i'm thinking this is you know the blogging thing is something i i really like the sound of but i am scared to death what is there for me well, there's a, for example, I've got a policy that I wrote uh, for the Cloud Learn plod project with uh, Stephen Heppel mm. um, that's on my site, deputymitchell.com. You can search for blogging policy in the search box at the top, and it brings a downloadable policy that you can edit, put your own um, you know, logo on it for school. It explains all the e-safety, the permission levels with blogging. It goes into all of the aims and objectives of why you might want to do this. So and there's you know that's just one. There are loads out mm. there. You know, use a search engine of your choice to find uh, letters home to parents. You can find all this uh, information. Teachers, on the whole, we're very generous um, with our with our work that we do. And you know, people are posting them up on their own blogs, on their own sites for other people to use. Um, there's loads of support. And if you're a member of something like Twitter, if you've joined Twitter, there's a whole community of thousands, tens of thousands of people out there that are willing to help. And support you moved through this because we all started somewhere as well and, of course you know, and, uh, of course we're all at different levels with that okay so i've got my acceptable use policy in place i've got parental consent where it's required what tools and what things do i need in the class do i need special computers can i only do this on ipads or do, do i need to have invested in some kind of platform technology that maybe i haven't got or it's not available or it's banned for example in my authority what tools do i need david well, firstly, most importantly, you need a blog, and uh, you can get them from various places. Two two places that I have direct experience of using, so I can I can recommend these. Sure. Uh, Primary Blogger, which will give you a free blog, and there's also Creative Blogs. Um, they they will give you a free blog too, and that's a great place to start. Um, you know, have a play, learn how to use the tools yourself. There are video guides on there that are included, the tutorials. Um, you know, you name it, there's the support out there. So you need a blog, first of all. Okay. And any internet device. Okay. Uh, it could be something small, it could be something large, a tablet, a computer. But with the, you know, you just need something that's internet-enabled um, to be able to access that, as do the children. Um, and you, know, you don't need a full bank of iPads. You know, I started blogging with just a computer in my classroom mm. and one hour in an ICT suite a week wow. and um, you know, jumping in there when no one was in or making the most of it but the children, the aim is that the children do it from home so they can uh, you know, they learn the trade of what blogging is and how to do it safely with you and then they can be able to go home, they can log in and they can do it themselves Right, uh, and even with the best intention, children doing stuff from home, they are likely to write something, or, or if you're in encouraging comments from around the world, surely other people, you, you can't vet those, or can you? And, and, what, and, and what safeguards are in place? How does that work? Well, if you're using uh, WordPress as a, uh, as a uh, platform, uh, which Primary Blogger and Creative Blogs both use, then it, the permission levels of the users is key. You are, you are the administrators. You have rights for everything. You can see right. everything. 
but the users that you create for your children are yeah. at a contributor level. Right. That's the, the, the word you're looking for. Okay. And that means that they can log in, they can create a blog post, but they submit it. Oh. And they don't publish, they submit it to the teacher. And you as the teacher, you click approve and approve and approve on the comments that are coming in mm. and also the blog post created by the children. Right. Nothing goes on that blog of yours without you putting it there. Um, so okay. it, it's one of the safest platforms out there. Absolutely. And I guess my next supplementary question to that is, does that cause tons and tons of more complicated work, or is it easier for colleagues? It, it, it is uh, really easy. You, okay. uh, you can, you, when you log in, you go straight to your dashboard. It alerts you straight away to how many comments are waiting, hmm. and it's a simple skimming through and clicking approve. Comments tend to be quite quick. They don't tend to be pages of work. It tends to be one or two lines. Hmm. So you can get through 10 comments in 20 seconds. Uh, blog posts, yes, they can be quite long, but you know I don't, and I don't advocate that you go through as a teacher and change things and edit things. You quickly skim and have a look for surnames. You have a look for you know a bit of too much personal detail. Okay. If you're teaching e-safety alongside your blogging, you're soon going to realise you don't need to check for those things, and you can publish them pretty quickly. Wow. And even when I had you know thousands of blog posts coming in and uh, comments coming in, I'd spend no more than ten minutes a week. But, you know, if I was uh, authorising, you know, five comments from Pi Corbett, a comment from, um, you know, another author or mm. a newsreader on the mm. telly or, you know, a film producer, then that's a good 30 seconds of my time. You know, that's a really good investment in, in the learning for that child. And, and do the blogs attract those kinds of um, uh, those kinds of interactions? I know that when you send a tweet out and you ask for that, I often, if I'm free for a moment, just kind of look at the page and stuff. And there's always a spinning globe. T- tell the listeners a bit about this globe and how that works. Well, the globe, yes. Yeah, so the globe is, the, is possibly the most powerful tool I've used in 20 years of teaching. Yeah. Um, that plots live anybody that comes to your bl- class blog it plots live where they are. Mm. And you get that from revolvermaps.com, and that's free. Um, you can Google that, and you can find a little video, or go to YouTube, you can find a little video on how to put that into your blog. It's really quick, two, two minutes. And it plots where the, where, where the visitors are from, and the children love that part of the, the whole blogging experience. One of the children said to me, looking at that globe, they said, they're my customers. They are the people buying my book. You know, and and that's how they say that's what they think of it. Yes, a real global audience coming in, and um, you know that they will work like mad because they know that's a visual representation mm. of people interested in what they've got to say as an eight-year-old boy, or a six-year-old boy, or an eleven-year-old girl. Is it really is powerful? It is, and, and as an employer, those are the kinds of. Um, aspirational young people that I'd want to be employing as well because, you know, that kind of language and that kind of respect for your audience I think is really important and just brilliant. Um, I'm I'm very grateful and mindful of the, the, the amount of time you've given me. Thank you very much indeed uh, for joining us. Um, if you want to follow uh, David, he is at Deputy Mitchell and um, you need to be in his audience one day to hear the story about that because it's just absolutely breathtaking. Um, any other websites that people should go to, David? Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's loads, but two I can pick out really, really quickly would be animoto.com, that's A-N-I moto.com animoto.com and audioboo.fm um, two ways to get voice and pictures onto a blog really really quickly um, and worth a look at um, because they're so simple to use and it means that you can get pictures and quick audio clips onto your blog Brilliant. 
in seconds. And of course, your resources and your website, deputymitchell.com. Any other websites from you? Um, but there's one that I use that showcases the work I'm doing in schools, which is asksir.co.uk. That kind of tells you a little bit more about what I do in schools and what I spend my day-to-day time doing in schools, supporting them. Um, but yes, uh, deputymitchell.com as well as my blog. Absolutely brilliant. If you want to book David as a speaker, he is well worth the investment, ladies and gentlemen. It's absolutely right. He had the audience at the West of England conference in the palm of his hand, as with me too, he did. Um, David, thank you so much for joining us. It's a real inspirational pleasure to chat with you. And thank you very much indeed. Enjoy the rest of your term, sir. Thank you, and thanks for inviting me on, Russell. Get into School Radio for less. The Anderton Tiger Hub. For under £3,000. AndertonTiger.com forward slash hub. And my next guest, listeners, I'm delighted to have on the telephone with me the urban teacher, a.k.a. Mark Martin. Mark, welcome to Innovate My School podcast. Thanks for joining us. How are you today? Thank you. I'm fine. Nice to meet you. Brilliant. Thank you so much indeed. I know. Amazing guy. If you're not following this gentleman on Twitter, listeners, you absolutely must. His tweets are profoundly interesting and incredibly engaging. He knows his stuff and he's very much down with the kids. And that's one of my questions coming in just a second but his twitter handle is at urban underscore teacher and you mark have cornered the market of this how important is it to be down with the kids i think um, as a teacher you need to be able to connect with the students that you're actually you know teaching Mm. and actually coming in day-to-day contact with Mm. and um, i think one of the things that i've really honed in on over the last couple of years and my understanding where students are coming from one in in terms of their learning and what kind of things they're going to be doing in the future and, and as a teacher how can I equip them and empower them to, to actually make that happen. Brilliant. Now you're an ICT teacher that's probably about to change as the computing curriculum comes in. Um, I'm yep. interested to hear your views on that and how you're going to repurpose a whole lot of learning to meet the kind of new objectives. How is that sitting with you at the moment? Um, at the moment um, I think where I've got a, um, a lot of oversight into the actual curriculum, that's been uh, really helpful because I've been able to um, connect with people on Twitter. I've actually connected with people in the tech world and so forth. And one of the main things with this new curriculum change is just making students see there's a process behind what they're doing. So normally they would just consume either a computer game on, on a computer. Mm. But I think with the new curriculum gives them that opportunity to see What's behind the actual um, process in terms of what's inside a computer, how does it work, um, what kind of um, things that are actually needed to, to make these processes happen. And do you think that the computing curriculum will take all of your students with you, or do you think some will just find the algorithmic programming elements just a little bit too hard to cope with? Well, I've always felt that there should be a balance with the computer curriculum because, um, you know, to get a job, you still need to learn PowerPoint or spreadsheets and, and words. So to, to eliminate those things and just uh, solely focus on programming would be a disastrous um, thing to do. So I, I personally think that there needs to be a balance in terms of, yep, students do need to learn how to um, do a bit of code and see what happens, um, how to put an app together and see what happens behind the um, computer process. But still at the same time, they still need to be um, um, literate on on those skills that are going to get them into the workplace and even into university. Mm. 
Mm. No, absolutely, thoroughly agree with you on that as well. And you, you, you're now becoming and developing your role as an international speaker. Tell me about your speaking opportunities, because you're getting about a bit. Yeah, so um, the lovely world of Twitter, um, there's so many different opportunities, and mm. um, it's just really funny because I, I, I joined Twitter um, probably about two to three years ago um, properly, and I just started just tweet innovative stuff to help teachers and also engage with students and, and people across the world interested in technology. Mm. And um, what I found over the years is that um, people started to connect with me in Australia, America, South Africa, and, and all of these different places around the world. And it, for me, it was just really empowering. And I think through that, um, people have seen some of my tweets, liked it, and got me on board with some of their initiatives that's happening around the world recently. And you've got something coming up that's really international a global conference tell me about that because that started in america that idea yeah so um i'm, I'm, I'm part of the um rs con five um, that's the hashtag so if you follow the hashtag um you'll see me under that and, and i think it's what it is it's global speakers come together free webinar conference i think it's the um july the mm. 11th to the 13th mm. and i'm going to be on on the saturday so um, um i i purposely done that so i can actually watch the world cup final <laughs> So I'll, I'm going to be on on Saturday um, at 10 o'clock UK time. And, yeah, p please follow my Twitter hashtag, and I will definitely connect you up when I'm actually going on live. So, yeah. Well, that is a really good news. Thank you. I love the way that people could arrange that. <laughs> life around that is really good now you're currently teaching at st mark's academy in london that's down in mitcham uh, how yeah. how different have you found students from around the capital their expectations and their aspirations as far as computing is concerned is it different are are young people different in mitcham than they are say in islington or elsewhere in london no i think most students are the same because um technology students are really um they, they're really keen on trying that new technology no mm. matter what spectrum they're coming from and i think that um it's i think it's more teachers really <laughs> in different areas mm. that are, are slightly of the issue because you know you, you can get some teachers that are really active in actually um engaging with the technology and you've got mm. some teachers that are reluctant and I think that probably one of my um, specialisms over the last couple of years is empowering teachers, no matter what end of the spectrum they're from, they're able to use technology to their advantage. And I think that that will trickle onto the young people that they're actually teaching. And with, with those students, they can, you know, take mm. technology to a next level or next higher. Mm. And do you think that, that particularly technology teachers or ICT teachers or now computing teachers, as they're going to be called, um, do you think that they have enough expertise to be motivating and inspiring for young people? Yeah, I think, I think with, with, with new teachers and um, old teachers um, in the profession, especially with the new curriculum changes, mm. I think it, it really boils down to... Um, you know, it's, it's important in building relationships. So those those yeah. teachers that are really, um, you know, experienced in, 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 in that field, they should be supporting those teachers that are really, um, you know, not too sure or need to be empowered in, in that technology scene. And also, um, yeah, there's, there are some teachers that are not, um, haven't got that qualification in ICT. Mm -hmm. So sometimes there's a... Um, there's a massive skill gap or they've got to learn a, 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 a very amount of skills in a short mm. space of time. Mm. But I think that probably in the next couple of years that will be ironed out because mm. this is the way we're trying to head. Mm. 
And some people are really worried. It, it isn't September the 40, uh, 2014 as the deadline. We've got two more years before uh, yeah. Ofsted will be quizzing colleagues on this. So there's a good two years running on this as well. Um, just very quickly and finally, uh, resources. In your resources cupboard, uh, whether virtual or real, do you have any top resources that you could share with us? Any particular um, coding tools or any apps tools or anything that you've used that you'd perhaps like to share with us if you can? Yeah, on my um, on my um, website, which is www.urbanteacher.co.uk, I've put a lot of um, teaching resources and also um, advice how to um, use technology. Um, hopefully, in the future, I'm trying to do a few YouTube clips that I'm going to be putting on YouTube, so teachers can actually see how I might use the Oculus Rift or a PlayStation 4 or Xbox One or even a Google Glasses that we got hold of um, uh, a few months ago into wow. a lesson. So. I think that that will be available soon. How did that go? So you brought Google, a pair of Google glasses into the classroom. How did the pupils, the students react to that? Uh, it was a brilliant um, experience because I think that um, w- what happened was is that I, I, this, and this, was, this really amazed me. Um, so um, they brought in a Google glasses, a company, I invited them in. Um, mm. My students were really amazed with the whole experience. And I didn't really want my students to just be consumers. So the following day, some of my students gave me recommendations how it can actually be enhanced through their what their experience of using it the day before and talking about what we were talking about earlier in terms of processing students understanding mm. how things work mm. i reckon that was a great um experience for them wow another have they moved their thoughts into kind of privacy issues and global monitoring are those are they are they ready to discuss those kinds of issues has that helped provoke that discussion yeah um you'd be surprised many of my students are really um you know conscious of the technology and and the impact technology is making on society and i think that um the more we um look into wearable tech and have cctv or have um just the other day we had in my room we was having a debate about facebook and that, mm. the fact that they hold all their data so all the things that they may post privately to their friends mm. is is available by the government or mm. or by these companies and yeah i think i think young people are really clued up on what's going on Good. by giving them that avenue of talking about and discussing it because where do you where else would you discuss that in society apart yeah. from schools well, wow. N- not in so many other subjects, I have to say. Mark, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's been an absolute brilliant. I can see why you're so popular and incredibly inspirational. Uh, chatting with Mark Martin, he is the at uh, Urban Teacher. If you want to follow him on Twitter, at Urban underscore Teacher. His website is www.urbanteacher.co.uk. And he's down in Mitcham there. Um, Mark, thanks very much for taking the time to chat with us. Thank you. Really good to talk okay, to you. Good care. luck and have a great summer. Thank you. Bye. You're listening to the Innovate My School podcast with Russell Prue. Listeners, I'm just delighted to have on the telephone with me David Didow. David, how are you today? I'm very well, Russell. Thank you. Yes, I'm very well. Brilliant. I've I've looked forward to pronouncing your surname for so many years now with great trepidation. Oh, bless you. I'm really good. You are super famous. You have a huge following on Twitter. You've written an amazing book uh, and uh, people are talking about it everywhere. You have a really good website, uh, learningspy.co.uk and you are on Twitter at learningspy. David, what's hot with you at the moment? Uh, well, um, at the moment I'm working on a new book and um, it's provisionally and rather provocatively entitled why everything we know about teaching is wrong. So at the moment, I'm busy sort of questioning everything 
that I've ever been told and, uh, and trying to find the flaws in it. I thought you'd already done that, <laughs> but you so haven't told anyone yet. <laughs> um, so, so, so it's fascinating. Mm. And, um, and I've been working with some very, very, very intelligent people who know a lot more than me about all sorts of arcane subjects. So um, I've, I've been, uh, there's, a, there's a chap who's writing a chapter of the book who's a statistician mm. who's been explaining to me uh, why everything we know about data in, in education is wrong. Mm. And that's an that's a, that's a absolute rabbit hole. Absolutely amazing. Um, you have an English specialism. Um, has, right. has that helped tremendously with this kind of preparation for you? Um, what, in, in, for that book? Well, well uh, I suppose... And your views, because I think you have, you, have, you have views, I think, that chime nicely with my views. They're, they're quite controversial, and they're, uh, they're based around stop doing whatever you're doing because it's wrong, and have a go at doing things in a more creative, kind of expressive way, I believe. And how have you arrived at that view? Well, well through, a, I mean, uh, the, the views that I... Um, I suppose one of the things that it's become very clear to me is that the, what people believe um, who are in education, everybody's in education... By and large, because they believe that they have an idea, you know, they, they want to help children to be better than they currently are sure. in some form. And whoever, whoever we're talking about, Michael Gove or Guy Claxton or anyone else, everybody has this sort of belief mm. that um, they want to improve children's lives, which is entirely laudable. But they, and I'm sure you've noticed this, Russell. We we all believe very different things about how to achieve that aim, mm. and and often those beliefs can seem to be contradictory. So, so Michael gave us a very good case in point because he upsets lots of teachers who who say, you know, he's he's um, he's, he's 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 a fool, he's ignorant, he's he's evil, um, and yet he would say that it, he he would argue um, and has done on many occasions that what he wants is the same as what we all want, which is improved outcomes for children. So, what that sort of suggests to me is that what. The things that we've come to believe, the things that we think, the things that we're doing, are usually based on um, emotive decision-making rather than logical decision-making. Mm. So we, and, and we do stuff because we like it, not because it's right. And then we sort of do a post-hoc justification mm. about to try and explain the emotional beliefs that we have for doing whatever it is that we do. So... For me, one of the, the, the big thing for me is that um, over the year, you know, when I trained to be a teacher and I did my PGC course and all of these other things, I was told that uh, this is the correct way to teach, this is the right thing to believe, and this is the way that we, we improve children's lives. And then through um, a process, really, of, of reading and, and finding things out myself, I've discovered that that isn't the only belief, that there is another way of um, mm. thinking about things, which I think has is much more in line with, with, with um, what I now believe. And I think that, um, so a lot of the things that we were told, which, you know, I remember, I remember in 2007, an Ofsted inspector coming into my lesson and saying, uh, you talk, that was great, but you talk too much. And I said, what, what do you mean? You know, what do you mean it was great, but I talked too much? And he said, well, you know, the, the lesson was great and the children were all learning, but you spoke for too long. And so um, I'm going to give you a satisfactory grading. And I thought, that's, that's rather that's rather odd. That's, that's a bizarre thing, um, and so and uh, you know I, I took that on board and and um, decided that if the, oh, clearly clearly he was right because he was in the position of authority, uh, and the best thing that I could do there therefore for my children was to speak pr- uh, less and less and less um, and to practically mime my lessons, mm. and um, and I've since come to believe that 
that's he was mistaken. Good. With the best will in the world. Yeah. Um, he he was he was talking out of his backside, mm-hmm. and that that talking is the most. Eff- I mean, the re- the reason we're talking now. Yes. Is because it's the most effective, efficient way of communicating information. Yeah, and mime doesn't work feature. on radio. <laughs> mime just simply doesn't work on radio. But I know what you're saying. No, I, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Not, of neither does in- interpretive dance. No. It doesn't doesn't translate well. No. And so and so to tell teachers. The, the most effective, efficient way of communicating information is something you should not do. It's insane. Uh, but I think the, the narrative that's underpinned that has been some teachers are boring and it's not very nice for children to have to listen to. Mm. And, and my response to that now would be, well, if some teachers are boring, let's see if we can make them less boring. Let's see if we can improve the way that they speak rather than stop them doing it. Absolutely agree with that. But it would appear that the profession doesn't want to tell itself that that everyone seems to be either super scared of upsetting someone or doesn't feel able to have that kind of dialogue. Have you found your published works, the books, particularly The Secret of Literacy, have you found that as an outlet for some of that advice? Well, it's interesting because um, I, 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 mean, I, don't worry. I, I think that when I talk to teachers, mm. when I talk to, uh, and by teachers I mean, you know, uh, people who, who spend the majority of their time teaching, so not, not ASTs, not school leaders. When I talk to teachers and say, you know, actually, it's, it's a jolly good idea to, to speak better, mm. they go, yeah, that's, that's, that's really good to hear, um, because that instinctively I know that to be the case. And, mm. and, and I think we, as a profession, we started to, with the best will in the world, we started to practice a deceit, which is when somebody comes and says, right, I'm going to observe you teach, we immediately say, Oh well, I'm going to have to change what I plan to do yeah. and do what you'd like to see instead. Yeah, and so we lay on these lessons in which um, students learn independently, and and we kind of hover around the sides, just sort of making suggestions every now and again, um, and conceal the fact mm. that we teach, and we're kind of embarrassed about it. And, um, and but 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 every every practicing teacher who works. As a in the, at the, you know as a main scale teacher knows that their children's outcomes are likely to be dreadful if they if they don't sneak in a bit of teaching every once in a while, and um, and so so the, the the main feedback I've had to the, to the secret literacy book is people saying, gosh that's you know it's great to hear somebody who's saying something sensible and sane and uh, and not trying to make our lives harder by by coming out of another set of gimmicks that we should uh, be enacting. Fascinating. How did you find your trip to Wellington College, where you spoke recently? Ha! Well, um, rather, rather, rather hectically, I was, um, and believe it or not, I was speaking at a maths conference in the morning, and um, and I had to, uh, I had to get from there to Wellington uh, to have a debate with Dylan William on whether or not AFL is uh, is wrong, and um, and I. And I and I, and I was driving a 1979 camper van um, at sort of breakneck speed um, along the road, and, uh, and and it was rather reminiscent of the John Cleese film Clockwise. No. I arrived sort of sweating and a bit sort of stressed uh, with about five minutes to spare. So that was uh, that was my journey to Wellington. But there, I think it's a, it's such an extraordinary place mm. because, as you you know, it's a, it's this incredible building that um which is a sort of strange bastion of, of of privilege but that but it's but it's so beautiful and beguiling um as, as a surrounding that uh, but i i find myself forgetting that 
I'm in this £30,000 a year school and just enjoying the and basking in the, the grandeur of the whole thing. Mm. But um, yeah, the, the, the debate that I did with um, Dylan William was 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 wonderful. Um, he's such a he's somebody I've admired um, and and has influenced my thinking for for such a long time. And mm. I found him such a generous, warm-hearted uh, person, so so willing to take the time to to to, to debate with with people on Twitter. And he he's left comments on my blog to. Mm. To explain his thinking, and uh, and it was it was great. We we sat down and we uh, and we had a very civilized discussion um, about about the, the practices and the and the theories behind assessment for learning. Brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And uh, I wish you the very best of luck with your new book. I'm looking forward to Thank that you. as well. Do you have a working title for it yet? Uh, the working title is "Why Everything We Think About Teaching Might Be Wrong." I love that. I just love that. It's just it's destined for a bestseller. It's uh, um, <laughs> well, brilliant to chat to you. Um, uh, uh, thank you very much indeed for your time. Chatting with David. Here we go. Hold tight, everyone. Die Dow. I love it. I just love it there. He is at Learning Spy. If you want to follow him on Twitter, www.learningspy.co.uk. The book's available for next day delivery in Amazon if you want. It's uh, uh, a Crown House published book. And thank you very, very much indeed david lovely to chat to you great pleasure thank you you're listening to the innovate my school podcast with russell prue Well, listeners, that's all we've got time for this, the July podcast for Innovate My School. I'd like to thank all the contributors to this month's show. Michael Forshaw for opening the show, Debbie Forster, David Mitchell, Mark Martin, and David Didow. It's really good to have your company. Join us next month when we'll have something equally as juicy and entertaining for you. For the moment, have a great summer. Thanks for joining us. Mm-hmm.